bum bum bottom 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 bum b
we have three reviews. What? Lisa. Yes. No way. Yeah, and and two of them we don't know who they are. That blows my mind. Personally, but let's <laughs> let's uh, get the friend out of the way. Okay. Uh, Shandor man. Or Shondor Man. That makes more sense. Shondor Man. Yeah. At Shondor Man. You don't know who Shondor Man is, Lisa? I do not. Shondor Man is our buddy, Sean Eastridge, oh. <laughs> who I hosts do. the Missing Frames podcast, That's which right. all you listeners should check out because he just had Richard Donner, the director of Lethal Weapon, Superman, husband of Lauren Schuler Donner, who, do, who produced the Brian Singer X-Men films. He was just on his podcast talking about Superman for their 40th anniversary. It's a great episode. Brad Gullickson, I hear, has also been on his podcast several times. Lisa Gullickson, not a once. She's a tough get. Oh, yeah. So, Sean, uh, obviously you've offended Lisa. Um, you need <laughs> She's to a tough get. Tweet her. My bar her. is super high. Anyway, the, he had some lovely words to say about our podcast. He gave us five stars. Thank you so much. He titled it uh, Amazing Incredible. The uh, He says, this is such a unique angle for a podcast, and I love it. Brad and Lisa are fantastic hosts, offering excellent insights and tidbits on comic book lore, as well as the ins and outs of marriage and relationships. Don't miss it. Yay. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, thank you, Sean. It almost helps me get over you never having me on your podcast. And then uh, this is from a new listener uh, who we don't know personally. <gasps> so this is a real deal. A true, new friend. Yes. Uh, review. Uh, it comes from uh, Kate1284. She titles this five-star review, Tubular. And it's a long one, so sit down and uh, pull up a coffee. I have no place to be. I've got a La Croix. Excellent. She says, this is an awesome concept. I really like the focus on marriages, love, and relationships. I've always wanted a blog or podcast about this because a lot of my guy friends growing up had a different perspective on a lot of this and or just didn't care if they were if they weren't really into relationships. I was a teenage young adult when Scott cheated on Gene. Uh-oh. <gasps> We're going to talk about this here in a little bit. And I don't feel like it was taken very seriously or explored very much. They never talked about it. The writers killed her off, and la-di-da, life went on. There are really cornerstone characters in terms of marriage. And since I am a huge X-Men fan, Wolverine is my favorite, but I still like Scott and Jean. So I like that they choose this simple, uh, this couple first and cross-referenced it with a couple relationship book. I like that they recognize the value of the five love languages, but also recognize that it's not perfect and neither is Chapman in his approach. Lisa hit the nail on the head Ooh. with the Jedi light side, dark side metaphor. Keep up the great work, guys. As a fellow married person and a geeky couple, you have my full support. And then she gives us the uh, happy face emoji. Thanks, Kate. Yeah, that was a really lovely. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate your support and the fact that you're listening. But now I'm curious, where did she fall on... Jean Grey and Logan. Where do I fall on Jean Grey and Logan? In this book, I think that Logan calls her a bike at one uh, point. Are we going to get to that? <laughs> hold on, hold on. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> uh, but we have one more review. Uh, another five-star review. This one is from JDLK, and their five-star review is titled Unique and Refreshing Concept. I'm not a regular podcast kind of person, but found this concept very unique and very relatable. Our hosts can really dig down into the material and connect it with real life issues and how we can use our love for comics to grow in our relationships. Amazing work, folks. Looking forward to more. Yay. Yay, that's so nice. 
nice, JD. Other letters and numbers? LK. LK. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate the reviews, especially the five-star reviews. Only the five-star reviews. <laughs> thank you very much. Keep them coming. It really does help us climb those iTunes charts. I think it's like us, Mark Marin, and Nerdist. We're just <laughs> battling it out right now. Well, Brad's Love Tank is on full. I yeah, can tell. Yeah. it is. Big time. Thanks to you guys. So last episode, we read four issues... The first four issues of The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, and they were at peak relationship. They were getting along. They were raising a child. It they was were, the honeymoon period. Yeah, an eight-year, eight to 12-year honeymoon period. <laughs> but now the honeymoon is so over. Way and it, over. <laughs> and it was killed by Grant Morrison. Yeah, Grant heartlessly. Morrison. Uh, we are reading... Uh, or we're discussing New X-Men 127 through 141. Uh, it was published between August 2002 and July 2003. So basically a year's worth of content. Um, it's the middle period of his run. Um, I think we need to talk about a little bit of background information before sure. we dive in. So two years before this run began in X-Men number 97, uh, Cyclops and N. Sabanur, a.k.a. Apocalypse, merged into one being. Uh, together, Apocalypse uh, forces Scott to question every action he has ever committed. His usual run-of-the-mill self-doubt increases exponentially. Um, Cable, a.k.a. Ba baby Nathan Summers from the far, far future, and Jean Grey track the merged monster to Egypt and manage to separate the two entities and kill Apocalypse. Yeah, sure. I'm sure that lasted. Uh, right before issue 127, the X-Men barely survive a battle with Cassandra Nova, who turns out to be a twin of Professor X and... Charles tried to strangle her when they were still in the womb. Gotta love that Grant Morrison. Uh, Cassandra. Was that a panel? Could you like see the little? Uh, they act, There's a whole silent issue in which Emma Frost and Jean Grey enter the mind of Charles Xavier and find that moment in time. Oh, wow. It's a great issue, all silent issue. I love it. But uh, Cassandra Novo is eventually defeated, uh, and the mutant nation of Genosha is obliterated when she sends this sentinel army after it. Magneto is killed, along with many, many, many others, and Emma Frost, the White Queen, joins the Xavier Institute as a teacher. What? She was a villain. Not no more. Well, maybe still a little <laughs> bit more. Uh, the big event that also happened before this run is that Brian Singer and 20th Century Fox uh, unleashed Hugh Jackman and the cinematic X-Men upon pop culture. That means, you know, the costume's got to go. Leather has to be introduced into the design of all these costumes. Uh, Lisa, do you like the Frank Quietly leather-clad kind of kinky X-Men suits? Um... Yeah, I do. I mean, I do, but I, I, there's just one particular outfit that Jean Grey wears where it's like she, she's wearing like leather pants, but with like the Phoenix green t-shirt. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. did, I did a quick Google on the internet to find that t-shirt. I did not get it. Huh? Because what? it was, it it was the Gildan cut 
T-shirts, oh, those are not my favorite. You don't like those. I like a soft tee. <laughs> I like a soft, comfy tee. Plus, it's kind of a, like almost like a boat neck, and this was just like a regular tee yeah, neck. Yeah, I, I, I like the leather suits for the most part. I love on the gloves how the yellow X's uh, are on the top of the hands. I think mm-hmm. that looks really, really cool. Um, but, you know, I'm a costume dude. Uh, when they revert back to their old ways with Astonishing X-Men and John Cassidy and Joss Whedon after this run, I was happy for it. I could go either way with mutants. Oh, yeah? Especially when um, they're no longer using some kind of alternate identity. I mean, like, no code names? Yeah. Yeah, because that's one of the big elements of this story is that Cassandra Nova at one point possessed Charles Xavier and had him reveal to the world that he is a mutant and that this school is teaching mutants. So they've been outed, and the mutant... A human hysteria has reached fever levels, somewhat like what we saw in the X Factor stories. Right. And so in, in this book, um, Professor X is planning a big, like, open house. Yeah. Of Spoilers. The, of Doesn't the go institute. well. Yeah. No. But, you know, X Men at this point uh, was not selling extremely well. They had the movie. They wanted to ride the success of mainstream acceptance. And so they went and got a big time comic book writer to take over the book. That's Grant Morrison. Right. I love Grant Morrison. He's one of my favorite comic book writers. So I was extremely excited when he took over this book. I read this book month to month and uh, just devoured it at the time. Now, if you don't know who Grant Morrison is, he's a Scottish comic book writer, best known for his weirdo, trippy comics like Animal Man, The Invisibles, Doom Patrol. But my personal favorite story, and one I know that Lisa really enjoys as well, is All-Star Superman, which he also did with Frank Quietly. That's a great relationship book. And when we do Superman, we're definitely going to talk about that run. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think it's the definitive statement on Clark Kent and Superman. Now, he's a kooky dude, and you got to take the good with the bad. Uh, Some of his ideas are, well, a lot of his ideas are extremely dense, way out there, and sometimes venture into rather problematic areas, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's definitely not afraid to take a story into, like, a weird place, and I love his take on mutants and the mutant gene, like, with the example of Phantom X, mm. like his mutation is when I was a baby, I coughed up a spit wad and now it's my spaceship. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, trippy out there. Weird. My mutation is now I'm like a lumpy dinosaur. <laughs> but don't worry. That's just like my pupa stage. Well, what's cool about the collected works of the new X-Men that you can purchase. You can either get like the big omnibus or you can buy the three volume set. At the end of the three volume set, you can read Grant Morrison's manifesto that he delivered to Marvel and said, look, this is what I want to do. One, I'm not interested in superheroes. I am interested in science fiction. So he approaches the X-Men as if it was a sci-fi book, not a spandex comic book. Uh, and he says something really interesting at the beginning of his manifesto. Do you mind if I read it to you real quick? Go for it, yeah. He says early on that, uh, in my opinion, and probably everyone else's too, the best work on the book, the work which transformed the new X-Men into Marvel's primary franchise, was done by Chris Claremont and John Byrne between 1977 and 1980. So basically, those Dark Phoenix saga books that we started this whole show off with. Right. And it's clear... 
when he starts the series off that he's basically taking those characters' emotional points and starting from the Dark Phoenix Saga era or just slightly after that. He's ignoring everything that really happened in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that is true. But I like the fact that Jean Grey, she has the Phoenix Force. Scott's continuing to really distrust her ability to have any kind of perspective on that power. And it's created an enormous schism in their relationship, Mm -hmm. just as it did back in the Dark Phoenix saga. Those wounds have not had a chance to heal. And even though he ignores a lot of what happened before this book or what happened immediately before this book, he does take that moment where Scott and Apocalypse merged and he used that trauma as the inciting incident that shuts him down emotionally from Jean Grey. Right, right. So, okay, basic plot of the middle chunk of New X-Men. Buckle up, guys. (laughs) (laughs) In wake of Genosis' destruction, Charles Xavier and his teachers at the Xavier's Institute have been outed as mutants, like we were saying. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, tensions between humanity and mutants are at an all-time high. Protesters are literally outside the school and screaming at students with their uh, signs. Scott starts a psychic affair with Emma Frost. Gosh. Yeah. uh, Disenfranchised telepathic student Quinn Quire starts a riot at the school, basing his rage off of the supposed murder of a famous mutant fashion designer. And then the book concludes with the apparent murder of Emma Frost. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> so yeah, it's a, there's a lot going on. And I actually, I ignored a whole bunch of stuff involving Phantom X. And Who is a, like a thief and was part of the Weapon X program. Yeah, he's, I think, Weapon 13. We mm-hmm. learned that Weapon X is actually Weapon 10. That's the proper designation he right. explains to Logan. And yeah, there's some shenanigans and some backstory. And in the third volume of Grant Morrison's run, they they truly explore that a little bit deeper. But we're not honestly going to worry about that. I like Phantom X. He's interesting. He's a basic ripoff of the Italian His crime film. His phlegm is now a spaceship. His phlegm is cool. now a spaceship, and he looks like Diabolique, the Italian superhero. <laughs> yeah. So. so that's good. Um, we're using as our... Love expert still. This is our last episode with Gary Chapman of the five love languages. So uh, this is the last time I get to list them off the dome. (laughs) Quality time. Mm. Acts of service. Mm. Physical touch. Oh, yeah. Words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. And gifts. I'm glad you remember them all. (laughs) I remember that my uh, love language turned out to be, after I took the test a second time, physical touch. Right. And my love language is words of affirmation with a close second of acts of service. Right, right. And what did we determine were Scott and Jean's love languages based on the past three books? Scott's love language is acts of service. And we see that throughout um, throughout the books, he always has this need to feel useful and he is most content when he feels like I'm the hero of this story and I'm the only one who can help, which plays interestingly in this new book because following his possession by Apocalypse, 
he's kind of been pushed to the side. And, yeah. And he's no longer the leader of the X-Men. Professor X is back. Um, and Jean Grey, she's now considered an Omega-level mutant, is now his right-hand person. And I... Like, I have literally no idea what Scott's job is anymore. I guess just school administration? Well, I think he's still a field leader. You know, if they go into combat, he is, you know, uh, calling the shots. But what we see in this story is that even that skill has been reduced tremendously. And because the X-Men have become this multi-international corporation, he's just one of many leaders. Yeah. And his identity is gone. Absolutely, yeah. Then um, Jean's love language is, is quality time and physical touch. Um, but they're not spending a lot of time together. The, the vast majority of her time is spent with Professor X, and Professor X has this fascination with her powers. She's in some kind of telekinetic upswing, and I think that she gets a lot of satisfaction out of her time with Professor X. Not that it's even necessarily romantic, but but it makes her... She's getting some fulfillment out of that and out of doing her work. Well, and she does recognize that Scott is pulling away and that something is truly bothering him. Uh, but their psionic bond, I guess, is still technically there. But she talks about how she doesn't want to venture too far into his mind. Well, early in their relationship, they had this rule that she would never infiltrate his mind. And I think that they, with everything that he's already been through with Apocalypse, I think that he's doing some processing on his own. And there is something to the idea that he needs the room to do that. Um, but he is in like this emotional self-esteem tailspin where I think that, um, and Emma does say this to Jean later in the book, I think there is something to um, Jean being a little afraid of what she's going to find in yeah, there. Yeah. She's rooting around in his psyche. Well, Scott, as he's talking about it early on, uh, you know, about his experiences, and to be honest, listeners, I can't remember if it's in this particular run or just before when Grant Morrison started the series, but he he talks about how his time with Apocalypse made him question his relationship with Jean Grey, that he's not worthy of this beautiful creature that he idolizes. He worships her. He has put her so high on a pedestal that when he starts to hate himself, he believes he's not worthy of any affection from Jean. And he is so afraid of her rejection, which is how he justified to himself opening himself up to Emma Frost because he does need an outlet to express all of these fears and insecurities. And he, he's afraid that if he opens up to Jean, she will be done with him. And well, he, can, he, he can't handle that. Grant Morrison introduces another element that is um, unique for uh, the X-Men conversation, that, that idea of their sexual chemistry mm -hmm. and how his time with Apocalypse 
has like opened something up in his head where he likes dirty sex <laughs> and he wants to do, he wants to explore s- sex with his wife, but he can't possibly think of Gene behaving oh, other like, than the missionary position. Yeah, he's right? got some kind of Madonna whore complex. So when <laughs> Emma Frost comes in, when she joins the school, I think originally their relationship is this boy is troubled and I can really mess with Jean Grey because I hate her Mm -hmm. because the last time she came into my brain, I was in a hospital, uh, a mental hospital for months because she broke it. I can get real revenge on her by seducing this individual and he's super weak. And it turns out all this guy wants is some kinky sex with Jean Grey and I can provide that. Psychically, right. I love that she she um, is always insisting that she is a sex therapist. Where I'm just like, when did you have time to get any kind of degree? You like literally went from your parents' house to stripping <laughs> to Sebastian Shaw. Well, she got that degree <laughs> in the psychic realm. I'm just saying, if there's a degree on her wall. I haven't seen it. <laughs> and if we can talk about the costumes real quick oh, sure. before we move on. As much as I love the uh, leather costumes or mm-hmm. appreciate the leather costumes and what they're trying to do, uh, Emma's crazy outfit. Yeah, like it defies the laws of physics at least. Like it's like. It's the negative space uh-huh. in between her breasts is the X. Like they literally cut an X of clothing out of her costume. So her midriff and and under boob and side boob are constantly exposed. I like, I just imagine her getting out the fabric glue and pasting her tits into that outfit every morning before a day at school <laughs> where she is, I don't know, a teacher? Well, she doesn't necessarily dress like that in front of the students when she's in front of the chalkboard. Oh, really? Um, That's how I imagine her doing it. <laughs> but, like, I love cleavage. I love cleavage. Oh, good. Cleavage is great. Yeah. This cleavage, gross. <laughs> Not sexy. It's reached the point of diminishing returns on that cleavage. But it is such an extreme that... Scott falls for big time. Like everything about White Queen is forbidden. And when she opens the door to the possibility of, hey, you know, we we can we can play around in each other's heads. He's like, oh, no, that's bad. That's bad. But boy, does he like it. I think there is something to the fact that they've been together since they were teenagers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, they're the only people they've been with. And well, I mean, Scott's had Madeline. Oh, yeah, that's true. But that was just a, a clone of Jean's. Yeah, Does that really count as somebody else? still married that clone and had a child with that clone I, and then battled that clone as the Goblin Queen. I imagine that Scott's sex with Madeline was lubricated with just straight tears. Oh, Lisa, God damn. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but that's probably true. Yeah. Um, it's a real sad, sad relationship. But yeah, yeah, so they've been together their entire life, except when maybe one of them died and one of them married a clone. Yeah, for a second. For a second. But like... And then they spent those 12 years on a honeymoon raising their clone baby as their own child. So they've been effectively uh, parents and common law married in the future. Right, yeah. And now true. they are officially married, you know. But, and, you know, and when we saw them in the future and their 12-year-old son complained of this, they were very physically affectionate. True, true, true. And that is not the case here. They are so distant. I Like, literally distant as in, like... 
on different continents at all times. But here's my question to you. Sure. From the moment Grant Morrison starts over, he goes into breaking up this relationship by yeah. introducing White Queen, by following up this um, apocalypse merging, destroying his sense of self. Uh, it, it's almost like this book was written to bust up their marriage. I mean, their relationship had these obvious cracks in it. And I think especially with Scott... And his inability to just open his mouth and talk to his wife, like, I think that Grant Morrison has seen these cracks in the storyline, and they need to be addressed. Well, I think this is the weird thing, right? The way we've done this podcast, by starting with the Dark Phoenix saga, going to X Factor, and then the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, um, those first two story arcs in particular are very... um, the, the, the melodrama of those two stories between Scott and Jean, it's, it reveals a lot of problems within that relationship already. And Grant Morrison is continuing from that thought process started by Chris Claremont. But for readers at this time, in the early 2000s, they had a Scott and Jean that were one. They had the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, Scott and Jean. They had the couple that had been married, that they are the one true pairing, that this is, this is the king and queen of X-Men comics. So for them to then, for Morrison to come in and say, uh, yeah, but don't forget about that whole Madeline Pryor business. Don't forget about, uh, you know, how Scott was already kind of cracked in their relationship when Morris, when uh, Claremont was writing it. Uh, it. It almost feels like for the reader, hey, we've We've expunged, we've exercised the demons of Scott and Jean already, and now you're bringing them back, and now you're going to ruin, you know, the one true pairing? Yeah. So I I understand why some people might be pretty upset by this. That being said, I do think that logically or emotionally logically, this makes sense. Yeah. And I'm okay with how Morrison starts this crack, and then just obliterates it. it. wide open. Yeah. I do think that there is, like, an issue in all pop culture of presenting a functioning married relationship because people presume that when two people are having a functional, loving relationship that there is no drama there. Mm-hmm. And so, and we see it in comics all the time where, the melodrama is created by breaking couples up and bringing them together and mixing them apart and blah, blah, blah. And um, and I think as a married person, I definitely am like, well, those couples don't look like me. Those couples don't look like me and my, you know, me and you. But think- anyway, that's a... <laughs> <laughs> That's just a greater issue. Yeah, well, because... But with, I mean... Contentment but, is yeah. not dramatic. Mm-hmm. Conflict is the key to drama, as they say. Right. And so to have, uh, you know, a married couple kicking butt for 40-some-odd years, that's just unlikely. I hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> well, for our case, I hope that's certainly true. <laughs> um, my parents just celebrated their 43rd anniversary. Oh, way to go, Denise and Greg. You're our superhero. High five, December 17th. Um, now, here's one other element to the Scott, Jean, and Emma three-way menage uh, that I find interesting. Menage a what? <laughs> 
That's really stupid. <laughs> That's so stupid, but I love it. Uh, but like, you know, for all the plot, for all the crazy, dense, zany, kooky comic that is happening with Grant Morrison's new X-Men, Scott Jean, not affecting it a lot. You know, Phantom X and the Weapon Plus program, Quentin Choir and the riot, the 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 horror of Genosha. Scott and Jean aren't really affecting this plot in any way. It's like the exact opposite of the adventures of Phoenix and Cyclops. Yeah, yeah. Because in that book, I was like, where's my other X-Men friends? It's not as fun without them. And then this book is like, there are so many X-Men in this book. So many X-Men. So many. You can understand why Marvel was like, uh, we need a House of M this and reduce the population to 123 now. It's gone out of control. <laughs> But anyway, so I thought that was an interesting point. But some of the new characters I really love. Oh, well, if we're going to talk about the school, one, I love Quentin Quire. He's a monster, but I love him. Beak, amazing. Yes, he's my favorite. Angel, I like Angel a lot. I like her, her in the context of Beak. Yeah, agreed. They're a, a couple forever. But I love I, them. Oh, and Dust. I think Dust is a really interesting character. Yeah. Um, the so whole he, remedial class, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Down and with and them. Jason Aaron, the comic book writer, is the only one who'll really take these characters and do something with them in his Wolverine and the X Men run that would come after this. Very cool. So um, I think the only way, with everything else that's going on in this book, the best way to really get down and dirty with the betrayal of Scott with Emma Frost is to just go through it chronologically. What okay. do you think? You mean the relationship of how the how it gets shattered? Yeah, kind of a blow by blow okay. of what Let's happens in their relationship. So the first mention of the state of their relationship is actually a scene with Jean Grey and Professor X, and they're having um, a chat about how Jean's powers seem to be going through some kind of perhaps secondary mutation. It, secondary mutation is a big thing in Morrison's book. Beast is turning into a lion. The Phoenix Force might be elevating to something extreme, <laughs> as if it could get any worse. <laughs> but she's now able to um, use her telekinetic powers to maintain multiple objects at a time. And she can get into molecules. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah That's yeah. pretty cool. But um, Jean feels this distrust of everyone around her since the Phoenix Force turned her evil for like a hot second. And she killed billions of people, Lisa. <laughs> yeah, she lightly killed several planets <laughs> worth of... Aliens. Oh, don't you're, you're gonna alien? You're, you're alien racist. Don't be an alien <laughs> racist, Lisa. Hey, the power of love restored her. Uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, sure. Okay. But she reaches out to Professor X to say, "Can you talk to Scott and just reassure him that I'm not turning evil?" <laughs> um, to which Professor X weirdly says nothing. Yeah. And I don't think there is any scene where Professor X. And Scott are having any kind of like heart to heart, like, bro, no, what's going no, on with your no, relationship? Because I don't think Professor X could actually trust Gene. I don't think he I don't think he trusts Scott either. Mm, mm, I like mm, I yeah. think that he's kind of into his own thing. And he's having his own identity crisis sure, being sure. outed by his evil twin. Yeah, that, and, that'll do it. That'll and do we, it. And his arc ultimately ends with him saying, I'm stepping down mm. from, so he's 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 dealing with his own issues. So. <laughs> That's a different podcast. 
<laughs> that's the that's the episode in which we cover Professor X and Cassandra Nova as a couple. Oh Ooh. no, I think that you would have to go with him and Lilandra, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, correct. Which also is addressed in this book. Oh, there's so much in here. Um, but you know, she's in this place where she really wants to lean into this power increase, and and she just wants Scott to trust her. Meanwhile, just a few <laughs> short pages later, we see Scott in this room talking to someone who we cannot see. I love this page. It's eight panels, and he's taking a seat in front of uh, a pair of legs. Yeah, and there's like just this <laughs> tremendous shadow cast oh, across his so face. Good. And and he's he starts opening up and saying that, you know, he just really wants to talk about their relationship because he just feels like the spark has gone out of it. And, which is something that Gary Chapman warns us about in the five love languages, though their honeymoon period um, was extraordinary, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but finally, he feels like he has to do all of this maintenance to remain good enough for Gene. But Gene now, like, he cites, like, you know, for everybody else, she'll parade around in a corset, but for me, she's in her comfy clothes. Yeah, yeah, which is why he wants he wants Emma. That's right, because she does not look comfy in her clothes. Hanging all out. <laughs> um, and, you know, he keeps saying, you know, I love her, but, like, I don't want her to see what I've become and this person who I really am. And He basically um, wants Black Queen again. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure. In um, fact... After this arc, Lisa, he's going to go to a strip club that specializes in kinky mutant uh, love, and the stripper that he uh, hangs out with is a black queen stripper. Okay, I think that's a healthy uh, expression of I'm very Maybe open. not at that point. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, the uh, dark figure on the other side of the room says, you know, like, well, you've you've clearly been keeping a lot of emotions bottled up. You're clearly dealing with a lot of repression. Flip the page, and it's <gasps> Emma Frost in her non-shirt. There's that dun-dun-dun. Yeah. Yeah. And she keeps referring to herself as Auntie Emma, which is so Gross. creepy. Even <laughs> even in brain sex. Look. Really nasty. Emma's creepy. Oh, soup's creeps. Um, so... Throughout the book, like, they're not being down low about this kind of mental affair. and Right, because like, Logan picks up on it and yeah. calls him out on it at one point. Beast calls him out on it. Hank does. Um, I love the conversation with Logan because he doesn't seem like the heart-to-heart -heart type. <laughs> and, you know, he does have the hots for Jean Grey, mm -hmm. so maybe it's a little self-interest that he's mm. taking the temperature of their relationship. But I love his non-existent platitudes. So um, uh, Scott and Logan are in that X-copter thing, and, and Logan is trying to get him to open up about, like, the schism he sees, like, yeah, you know, I haven't seen you and Jean hanging out a lot. And then Emma drops in. Oh, and that's, me mentally, Mentally. And I think that, like, her doing that, this is, like, clearly a manipulative tactic to it's cut It's invasive. It. Well, because she, she's cutting in on the quality time of the people that love him and therefore isolating him further. It's like a 
cult tactic yeah. is what it is. But, it's nefarious. Yeah. Um, but I love the platitude that Logan feeds him because he says, this, all I'm saying, man's got to mow his own lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Those are wide, <laughs> wise words. I don't, like, I, like. You got to tend that garden. You got to, you got to tend your love garden. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a Gary Chapman friendly version of it, I suppose. Yeah. Well, you know, Logan's super pissed because he would tend that garden. He loves Gene. Yeah, he wants to get his spade. He wants to throw a hoe down. S stop, stop. He wants to. Uh, no, no, no. Stop with the metaphors. Move on, move on. Continue. Bulbs. No. Perennials. Lisa, please. I can't. I can't even. Um, so, meanwhile, like Gene is gallivanting all over the place with Professor X and getting the real, the real work done, the real X-Men, X-Corps. Yeah. Work done. The plot. <laughs> yep. Um, but, like, the um, mental escapes to each other are becoming more and more frequent to the point where, like, he's at work, he's with students, and the students are bringing up, like, the... Um, Oh, the Stepford the Cuckoos? The Stepford Cuckoos. Love them. Love them. They're evil. They've yeah. got to be. Uh, no, no. A couple of them. Of them, they're very devious. None, nevertheless, like you know, you can't hide it. They're telepaths, you can't uh, you, hide anything. I, from you need them. to read the third volume. There is such a great turn with the Stepford Cuckoos. Lisa. I love that, but they're you know, they're starting to drop hints about like you know, like, are you really missing Gene? Yeah, yeah, they're are very snarky really? about it, and yeah. but not at all subtle. So, to take the creep factor to another level. In these mental escapes, mental affair, I guess. Yeah, well, there's definitely multiple ones because we do see at one point uh, them making out. Yeah, so, um, but while this is happening, she is dressed uh, in Phoenix's colors and... Well, costume yeah. and also hair color. She changes her hair to red. She does it. She starts out under the guise of, well, I'm a sex therapist and we're just doing some role play to help get your feelings out. But then even Scott sees through this. He's like, is this role play or are we just straight up having an affair? So he 100% knows what he is can, getting into. Can I take a pause here one sure. moment? Uh, I, I hung out with my dad today. Uh, you were off at work. I went and had lunch with dad. And he's in, very interested in this podcast that we're doing. Oh, hi, and I was, I was telling him about this affair. Uh, between Scott and Emma. Am I going to find out something gross about your dad? Well, I said it's a psychic affair, which, you know, is basically a real affair. And my dad goes, oh, well, not really, Brad. What? And I was like, dad, <laughs> in mutant terminology, a psychic affair, if I can go into your brain and have sex with you in your brain, that's just as bad as having sex with you physically. As right? As right? soon as two people are involved, it's an affair. Yeah, not to my dad. Not to your dad. No. Well, good to know. Question mark. <laughs> we should warn mom. I think we should. <laughs> Let's just keep him away from anybody who tapes their shirts to their boobs. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, um, the Stepford Cuckoos are actually the ones to yeah. let do the a cat little, out of the bag. Yeah, do a little mental drop in to Jean Grey, who is. On the X plane or whatever. Well, because they love Emma and they are really irritated that Emma's attentions are being drawn from them to Scott Summers. Yeah, that's true. So um, they're like, tap, tap, tap. Hey, Gene. Such a good moment. We have something to tell you oh about 
Scott. And so they out him. And she is, of course, furious. Sure. So um, she manages to break into them mid, like, as Emma Frost is turning her hair red. So that page right yeah. there, it's one of the best pages in the entire book. Uh, it's a it's one giant panel, one page. And it's Scott going in to, you know, get into that bosom. And... Uh, Jean's in the background and she's kicked the door open and I have the book open right so Scott is going oh no he's got a surprise face that Jean's here what's Jean saying there don't tell me you can explain buzzing and here's the best part of this entire page what is Emma's hands doing it's a psychic affair She's oh, she's pulling, pulling the her, covers yeah, over. She's pulling her bed sheets up to hide the fact that she's wearing the Dark Phoenix costume. Yeah. That Ooh. is brutal. Amazing note. But then I like Jean goes after Emma and she does not hold Scott at all responsible for his part in this relationship. And she goes full Phoenix. She goes full Phoenix. And she literally kicks Scott out of the room, telekinetically holds the door shut so she can go ruthlessly after Emma, which I think goes to the fact that Jean just doesn't respect Scott anymore. Uh. She, She thinks he has zero agency He's well, just, he certainly has zero agency. He's just this sad puppy, and Emma but, came in I don't know, to like, take advantage. So if I kick down the door and you're with another dude, Lisa, just to lay this out here, I'm going to kill that dude first. I'm going to I'm gonna beat him to death with the baseball bat that we have over here in the closet. Right. And uh, then I'll come to you and I'll have a conversation. That seems reasonable. But that's basically for, what she does. And that is basically what she does. She, um, you know, like... She goes after Emma. Emma's like, I was just being a sex therapist. And she's like, that is complete bull hockey. And um, and she takes Emma on this depressing parade through her horrible it's childhood. savage. It's a savage attack on Emma Frost. I think that it is savage in how cliche it is. Oh, like, it's the Being John Malkovich <laughs> tour. She has, excuse my cough. She has daddy issues, which oh, okay, leads okay, to okay. her being uh-huh. a stripper uh-huh. and put, throws her into the arms of a bad boyfriend. Uh-huh. You did don't get more typical than now, that. I would wonder, was that already established in the continuity, Lisa? That's not Grant Morrison's fault, maybe. I'm sure, but mm. even like even yeah. if it wasn't, you know, the brainchild of your comics god, like <laughs> it's still like not that, like... I don't know. I like the way it is depicted. And at that moment, between two, uh, you know, massive telepaths like that, the battle has to go internal. And that's how it's... Vi- and I, I think, for the most part, it's visualized well. Um, it's, you know, it, it, the background of Emma Frost and what's exposed there may be a little bit cliche, but the way it is used as a weapon by Jean to humiliate her uh, enemy is ruthless. And I found that effective. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I agree. I mean, that's exactly where I would go um, (laughs) if I was a telepath destroying someone's life. But for a moment, um, Scott believes that the crux of the issue is a night in Hong Kong. Because 
uh, Jean is asking about Hong Kong, and that was a moment when they were alone together. Yeah, and they were going after the U-Men, which is this whole organization that harvests <laughs> mutant genes and yeah, use them for the themselves. Yeah, the grafts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't love the U-Men, but I kind of like John Sublime and, again, you haven't read the third volume, but where the sublime story goes. Okay, well, I, I'm totally committed to reading the third volume. Oh, yeah? Oh, yay! Yeah. But Scott finally says, like, if you really want to know what happened in Hong Kong, look into my mind. And so, um, in his mind, they are sitting together on a bed. She's wearing some kind of black negligee, and he is in just um, his... Pajamas. No, do you think those are pajamas? I think those are straight-up boxers. Whatever. I think that's... I call my boxes my pajamas. I think pajamas. that's a little revealing for just two buds hanging oh, out. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, but Emma is trying to ploy him into having um, flesh to flesh, not just brain sex, but actual intercourse. And he's like, nope, it's Gene or nothing for me. Um, and th- But then Gene is like, yeah, but they were thinking about it together. The whole time. And then after this night in Hong Kong is when they start having sex in their minds. Exactly. Which we've established is having an affair. Sorry, Dad. (laughs) Now, uh, Professor X's response to this whole outbreak is like, I hope this is just jet lag, Gene. (laughs) You seem a little tired and crabby. He's like one, one step away from going like, be honest with me. Are you on your menses? <laughs> it's the worst moment in the entire book. I really dislike that panel. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like out of the blue. And then, of course, the next page, we get another Logan gem. Oh, man. <laughs> we have Zorn, who we haven't even gotten into Zorn. I love Zorn. Zorn's he's a, great. He's a, his mutation is that he's got a star from a, for a head. Yep. And you healing powers. You should really read that third volume, Lisa. So wonderful. Oh, no! I'm just saying. Oh, goodness. Foreboding. <laughs> um, but, you know, he... Like, you know, he's got a star for a brain. He doesn't understand he's a this healer. kind of issue. Um, so so um, uh, Logan tries to enlighten him, and he goes, uh, Summers took the bike I've been working on for months, and now he's going to wreck it. Yeah. And so then, who's the bike? I guess that Gene's the bike. And then the, the, the bike that Cyclops steals. Oh! It's a literal bike. It, yeah, it's a literal bike. Oh, I thought he was speaking. Oh, you metaphors. thought you thought he was saying that Gene was his Gene bike. Gene was his bike, and she- no, no, he's literally talking about his bike. He steals his bike. Logan is a modern day and poet. This it's pa- a double entendre. <laughs> no, <laughs> this panel where Scott is on the motorcycle fleeing away is the most cowardly panel. I've ever experienced. Yeah. It looks so badass. You're like, oh, look how cool Cyclops is with the helmet on and his optic blasts are penetrating through the visor. But he is just going, wham, wham, I can't deal. I've been caught. Do you know what makes it so much worse, though? Sure. What? Is everybody just kind of forgets that he's gone. Yeah. Because, you know, Emma is devastated. She opens up to Logan and reveals that she... Through this whole manipulation situation, she ended up actually falling in love with Scott, which is pretty pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she ends up um, being murdered. Like, when I first turned the page and saw the panel, so she, her secondary mutation is that she can turn into diamond form. And, we, and um, coming back from the opera, Hank sees her shattered on the floor. 
And I thought she had committed suicide. I thought that she was so devastated. Well, the entire investigation, I, I, I was still thinking that maybe she had killed herself. Right. And but, that would kind of be understandable, but also super cliche. Yeah. So the, the final um, two issues, we have this character named uh, Sergeant Lucas Bishop. Yeah, Bishop. Who is a mutant detective. He's and, also from the future. And his um, right hand... Um, Android, I guess? Yeah, she, kind of. Cy- I, I'm not exactly sure who she is. She, I never really have read many comics with her. What's her name? Sage. Sage, yeah. I'm unfamiliar with Sage. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Um, they're kind of trying to solve the mystery. And we don't we don't hear about Scott again. Not in this volume. So when this volume ends, it ends on a cliffhanger. They still don't know who shot the White Queen. We're going to learn all that, Lisa. We know for sure that it's not Jean Grey because Jean invited Bishop to look into her mind and he could see, he saw something terrible, but whatever it was, it cleared her as a suspect. And I'm not going to spoil the third volume for you. You're you're so kind. I'm very kind. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I've already mentioned it. Uh, the next issue opens with Scott Summers. Where did he go? He went to a strip club yeah. to ogle the Black Queen. Uh, hangs out with Sebastian Shaw. The, the strip club he goes to is the Hellfire Club, Lisa. Oh, my goodness. That's pretty <laughs> shameless. <laughs> and then they solve the mystery. And then there's that Zorn business. And then there's this epic world-ending event storyline that I really, really enjoy. And I would encourage you to finish reading the book. Wonderful. So clearly, we've spent an entire month with Scott and Jean. They are now broken up forever. They will never, the damage to their relationship is irreparable. And um, that's all we're going to hear first from Scott and Jean. Uh, you know, it's interesting having looked at these particular four arcs. I feel like we picked some storylines that truly um, <laughs> rake Scott over the coals. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I came away from this month of conversation going, I like Sky- Scott Summers way less. I like Marvel Girl, Jean Grey, a lot more. She, it seems kind of blameless in this whole situation. I think that, um, I think that Jean, Jean Grey could stand to be taken down a peg. I think... You know, because she has the complication, the emotional complication of, well, I do have an evil being kind of living inside my body, so I can be a total bee sometimes and destroy Emma Frost. But, you know. I think it's clear to me that Morrison does not like Scott Summers. Right. And exposes what a weasel he is from his point of view through this book. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. you know, we have his same point of view. If you look at these four episodes, if you look at Dark Phoenix Saga, if you look at X Factor, I understand Grant Morrison's frustration. I think what would be interesting in the future would be to return to Scott and Jean and look at their lives through some different storylines uh, and maybe do uh, an extra bit of homework to determine which storylines truly reveal Scott and Jean as... Who they really are. Yeah, who, well, not who they really are. Why people love them as this ultimate X-Men couple. Because when you go online, and if you could follow us on Twitter, at CBCC Podcast, you will see uh, whenever I post Team Schema, Scott and Emma, tweet, everybody responds, 
F those two. We hate them. They ruined Sky Cyclops. Morrison ruined Cyclops forever because of this arc. And the events of this arc really do push Cyclops into some extremely dark places that they are still reconciling with today in X-Men continuity. So what are you saying? That we're not... The whole premise of this podcast is that we spend four issues, four arcs with these couples, and we decide definitively, yay or nay. On that couple? Okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, I just say, like, when we started this podcast... I was in love with Scott and Jean. That We picked Scott and Jean because of how I felt about them when I was 13 years old. Right. And now I'm like, I'm glad they're broken up. Right. <laughs> well, what we're teasing is- <laughs> And I feel is, dark. I feel dark. Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't want you to feel dark. I do feel dark. I'm so sorry. Well, what we're saying is, this is not the end of Scott and Jean on the comic book couples counseling podcast. I am looking so forward to circling back to this particular couple- um, to, to perhaps look at them in a different light. Mm -hmm. But our journey with them is, for at least 2018, coming to a close. Now, what would we do using the advice of Gary Chapman and the five love languages right. to help these versions of Scott and Jean, the ones from Dark Phoenix Saga, X-Factor, The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, and New X-Men? Well, I think that Gary Chapman would say that they should stop being X-Men. That being X-Men is destroying their relationship. Both of their love languages are dependent on them being together and having real time. Scott, with his love language being acts of service, they... She he she has to be present for him to be able to do things for her and for her to be able to express her gratitude in a meaningful way. And Jean, with her love languages being quality time and physical touch, like she is getting her love tank filled elsewhere, spending quality time in friendship with Professor X. And she doesn't really need Scott in that capacity. And, you know, her need for physical touch, like, he needs to be present for that. And it's all of these. We saw it in um, the adventures of Phoenix and Cyclops. When they are together, when they're helping each other, they are fulfilled. But as soon as they're separated and they're goals and aims are diversified, they cannot function, hmm. particularly hmm. Scott. Yeah, 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 yeah. He cannot handle having a woman uh, that has the Phoenix Force. I think that's the real problem, yeah. that they were doing great before the Phoenix Force showed up, and then once she became a little bit more powerful than his silly optic blasts, mm, he crumbled. I mean, the, she was even, she was always going to be a better... A more powerful mutant, yeah. Like, you just can't beat telepathy. <laughs> Particularly in an intimate relationship. It's just like, you know, and, and she's very respectful with it. Whether it, it is because of some kind of pact, I will not look into your brain, or because she's af afraid of what she'll find in there. Like, she has all of the control 
of the emotional side of their relationship. Uh, yeah, I think I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, it's sad, though, for the X-Men. Um. I, I wonder how things would be different if instead of going to the sweet exposed bosom of Emma Frost, if he just went to Jean and, w- and like, do you think that his fears are founded? Do you think that uh, she would walk away if he was like, Jean? No. I feel like I ha- I ha- I've seen through the eyes of Apocalypse that I'm a, an extraordinarily small man. Yeah, I think I think if he had gone to her and had an and and been able to open up his deepest darkest fears and to talk about their sex life as well. If right. he had been able to have a conversation with all of that stuff, if they had gone to a real counselor, <laughs> yeah, instead of Scott sneaking off with a hot White Queen, and if White Queen wasn't purposefully going in to shatter that relationship. Right. You know, she is extremely predatory in the, in the early stages of the relationship. Uh, if that had never occurred, it would be like, it's a totally different ball game. You right. know, th- they could still be together. Jean Grey probably wouldn't have died for another time. <laughs> uh, so, you know, spoilers for that third volume, Lisa. Oh, Brad, <laughs> you said specifically. You know that Jean's going to die every couple of years. Yeah. It's just the way it goes. She's, She's got the a pretty Phoenix. rough. Now, before we leave Scott and Jean, you know, we've promised that we will return to them, you know, maybe in 2019, maybe in 2020, but we will get back to Scott and Jean as a couple. However, I was so disheartened after reading New X-Men, I went to my comic book shop, uh-huh. Big Planet Comics yeah. in Vienna, Virginia. And shout out to Kevin. Yeah, hey Kevin. Uh actually I bought these from Jared. Oh. Uh I, I went to the back issue bins and I was craving positive. Gene and Scott relationship issues. And I bought three comics for a nice. dollar each. I bought Uncanny X-Men number 308. And that's the issue uh, illustrated by John Romita Jr. and written by Scott Lobdell, who did The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. And it's the issue in which Gene Gray at cl- finally proposes to Scott. Oh. And it's all set at Thanksgiving. Gene proposed to Scott? Gene. How emasculating. <laughs> How did he take that? <laughs> he took it well because he said yes. <laughs> and it all happens at Thanksgiving break at the X-Mansion when all the other X-Men are playing basketball. It's what X-Men comics do so well. It's not all about punching. You can have an entire issue uh, about a couple going through the woods talking to each other about their past relationship. Lisa, I need you to read this this week. I will. And then I also uh, bought issue uh, 310 of Uncanny X-Men. It's when Cyclops and Cable uh, team up and fight the Executioner. Uh, it's just a fun action comic. I, also illustrated by John Romita Jr. I love that dude. And uh, the comic's fun, but it's nice to see Scott not being a total a-hole. And then I bought X-Men number 30, the big wedding issue, Yay. which is an entire issue where people are preparing for the nuptials. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil something for you. The, fir- the the dance that Professor X and Jean have, she uses her telekinesis to get him out of his chair. Oh, my and goodness. And they, like, dance That's telekinetically. So it's really beautiful. I love that. Illustrated so by Andy Kubert. as the father. Yeah, yeah, kind of. So yeah. sweet. Uh, so it was really nice to, after the trauma uh, that Grant Morrison put me through, to flashback and revisit happier times with Scott and Jean. And I'd like to t- have that conversation uh, extended in a part two of our Scott and Jean conversation. Ooh, bonus episode. Again, it probably won't be for another year. Oh, okay, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> um, but we didn't talk about Brad. Mm. 
how we can take the lessons that we've learned from Scott and Jean into our own marriage. So, like, when my greatness is making you feel small. Well, you do make more money than me. <laughs> currently. that That's just a little glimpse into our finances. A little weird, but that's okay. It's a fact, though. You <laughs> yeah. are my Jean Grey. Oh, so when you're feeling small, do not fall into the lap of a sex therapist. What are you going to do? I mean, I'm going to talk to you. Yeah. I think communication is key. The big takeaway I've learned from Scott Summers is that I need to talk to my wife. And that includes the stuff that, I, that, that I'm really scared to talk about because I have faith that Lisa will understand my insecurities. Absolutely. What about you? Um, well, if I, if these, these roles were reversed, right. And I was the Scott, I, I too would, I too would open. Like the thing is like, is that what your big takeaway is from this relationship though? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you just have to, you're stealing my thoughts. No, I, I'm not stealing your thoughts. I think that your thoughts are correct. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yes. Correct thoughts. (laughs) Um, I just feel like you shouldn't be like, once you've committed to each other, there you shouldn't fear losing the other person. You shouldn't feel like your relationship is t- so tenuous that if you revealed something about yourself, you would automatically be rejected. I think that S- Scott is the product of some really archaic ideas about masculinity where, you know, he wants to be the superhero and he wants to be perfect. And he, like, he sees expressing emotions as this sort of weakness or even expressing um, sexual desires and kinks. He feels like a real all-American superhero Mm -hmm. wouldn't do that. Captain America would not say, hey... Who's Captain America's? Agent 13. Agent, hey, Agent 13. Um, I'm just, I just want to reveal this to you. You can take it or leave it, but uh, Cat and Nine Tails, I'd be super (laughs) into that. Can I be tied up this time? Captain America would not ask that. No, probably not. I don't know, maybe. I don't know what he's into. <laughs> we, well, you have to wait on that episode. I think he's probably into some kind of crazy power play. He's like, treat me like the weak little boy again. Oh, please. Why'd you put that image in my head? You're welcome. <laughs> All right, Lisa. So yes. we are closing the book on Scott Summers. For now. And Jean Grey. And we're closing the book on Gary Chapman. <gasps> yes, that's right. Um, do you have any takeaways about Gary Chapman and the five love languages? I think uh, Gary Chapman... There's some common sense stuff that I agree with, um, but I, he, he gets in the way of himself uh, in the sense that I think a lot of his uh, gender ideas are and sexuality ideas are extremely outdated. Absolutely. He, he and Scott Summers would probably get along quite well. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's definitely true. I do think that there is value to trying to figure out what makes your significant other feel loved. And it might not necessarily be the same things that make you feel love. And and the whole idea of just opening up and saying, you know what would make, do you know what would fill my love tank if, you know, 
if you did this favor for me or if you just held me, mm-hmm. you know, right now. And I'm, I'm, we have been, outside of this podcast, using the, the language of the five love languages to talk to each other. Yeah, we have. And that's been fun. <laughs> it has been fun. And I, and I don't think invaluable. But we are saying goodbye to Gary Chapman. That's right. So we're going to bring another book into the conversation uh, with our next couple. Yeah. Are we, we revealing that now? Yeah, I think we I think we have to. Yeah, Scott and Jean are done. Okay. So um, so, so you go first. Well, all right. So starting in January, uh, we will be discussing a, no- a new comic book couple and not one associated with Marvel Comics or that other big company for that matter. Uh, we're jumping over to Image Comics with a contemporary sci-fi classic, Saga, yeah. uh, from writer Brian K. Vaughn and illustrator Fiona Staples. This should be interesting because this was a book where when I began reading it, I was like, yay, this is a functioning marital couple in a comic book. This is amazing. With a child. With a child. It's beautiful. Um, and then something happened in their relationship, and I was just like, screw this book. And then you stopped reading it. I straight up stopped reading yeah, it. And so I've brought you back. I did not quit, and I got to say, the book does get better after that uh, conflict. Lisa, comics need conflict. Yeah, they do, I suppose. All right, so that's that's what the comic we're going to read. What's the uh, self-help book that we're going to read? The next self-help book we're going to read, our next love expert, is going to be John Gray, FUD, PhD, (laughs) of the book Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Get it? It's a space book. It's a space book, and um, space Alana and Marco are from different planets. Get it? I've... I've heard a lot about uh, this book. It's a, a quote-unquote classic like saga. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised it came out in 1992. It's the kind of thing that it feels a bajillion years old, but it has sold more than 15 million copies, and it is, according to a CNN report, I'm reading directly from the Wikipedia, it was the highest-ranked work of nonfiction of the 90s. All right, so I'm sure it's going to be really helpful. Spoilers! I've already started reading it, and it is way problematic. <laughs> it is so problematic. But we'll get to the bottom of it as we explore the relationship of Marco and Alana. All right, so that, but Lisa, that January, there's, there's still like another week till January. So we're just going to just lay back on our laurels, say we've had four amazing first episodes and we don't need to, we'll take the holidays off. No, Lisa, we take no holidays off here. That's right, people. We Uh, deliver. We're going to have a bonus episode. (gasps) Yeah. And I'm really excited about this one because we are going to jump to DC Comics before we get to Image Comics. And we are going to look at the relationship of Scott Free and Big Barda with the latest Mr. Miracle miniseries from writer Tom King and illustrator Mitch Gerards. Yay! I've heard great things about the series and I've been itching to read it. I I haven't read it yet either. It's not even collected in a trade paperback yet. You have to buy the single issues. And Lisa, I'm going to let you borrow my single issues, but you should know that those issues... They're worth not 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 a ton of money, maybe, <laughs> but don't don't spill your coffee on them. I'm gonna eat a straight uh, sloppy sub sandwich right over these. I really <laughs> seriously, so I don't want you to do that. I know. <laughs> I think that keeping his comics crisp crispy is one of his love languages. Don't bend them. <laughs> 
Okay, Brad, let's end this sesh. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on most social medias at MouthDork, but also be sure to head on over to our other podcast, In the Mouth of Dorkness, where we're gearing up to announce our not top 10 favorite films of the year, as well as our top 10 favorite films of the year, a.k.a. The Dorkies. Yeah. But Lisa... Where can we find you and send you our words of affirmation? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter and Instagram. And you can commit to this podcast by following us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. There you go, folks. Keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy doopy.